the race photographers were on it because they took pictures of me literally every single step going up to that finish line and across it. And you can see my face turn from scared and upset to like just every emotion. Am I going to do it? Oh my God. To suddenly like realizing I'm going to do it. Like it's going to happen. I have a couple steps left and just, I saw the clock and it said 2.59.55. I just instant tears, just tears and tears. And oh my gosh, the, there's a picture of me holding my medal up and my face is just bright red. There's tears streaming down my face and it's just the best. Like every time I look at those photos, every time I look at the medal, it's just, I almost start crying again because it was just, I did it somehow. I did it. I did it. Hello, podcast world. Welcome to episode 90 of Run Chats with Ron Runs NYC. Breaking three wasn't just about one race. It was about the nine years of marathoning and overcoming injury, the 13 years without running and racing, and the hope tucked away in 1999 when I was just a girl who thought someday. Heidi Gaff. When Heidi hit the 26-mile mark at Grandma's, she saw the clock and had one minute and 26 seconds left to break sub three. This mom of six had to dig deep, channel every ounce of grit, and turn on the jets to get across the line in 2.59.52 and make her sub three dream come true. Heidi has overcome many obstacles along the way. Back surgery, knee surgery to remove a tumor, a divorce from her first husband who was cheating on her left her with four kids in diapers and newly relocated to Fort Wayne, Indiana, where she had no friends and family. She had no degree, job, money, a vehicle, or even a driver's license. Working with her therapist, Heidi wrote down a list of where she saw herself in five years, what she wanted for herself and children, mapped out every single step needed to achieve those goals, and set out to do the work. Five years later, she'd achieved everything on it, and a big part of that was coming back to running, connecting with runners in her new community, finding her tribe, meeting her new husband and having two more children. We discuss high school, college running, her favorite coach, Diane Phillip, favorite race moments, her progression, mantras, darkest moment, her big breakthrough at grandma's, becoming part of Three Rivers Racing Elite Team, community service, trail cleanup, and coaching middle schoolers. It was beautiful to hear the raw emotion in Heidi's voice describing her race, how it was slowly slipping away, and she had to channel the dark side and think about how she would feel if she missed by just a few seconds or a minute. So inspiring. I hope you all enjoy this convo as much as we did. So let's dive on in and take a listen. Welcome to Run Chats with Ron Runs NYC. How are you doing this evening? I'm doing great. Great to be here. Well, it's good to see you in the Zoom screen. You got to still be on cloud nine after that sub three breakthrough at Grandma's. It's been a lot of work, a lot of miles, and you've been chasing that dream for a while, right? Yeah, a good nine years I've been chasing after a sub three. And I mean, 
considering the fact that I started running when I was 14 and started thinking about marathoning when I was 17, um, considerably longer than nine years. So, <laughs> yep. Love the context. Nine years. That was literally going to be my next question. So do you have any idea how many races you've chased it at or how many marathons have you run? And, you know, people are either they've tracked every single thing and they're super analytical with their logs and they do, or they're just like, no, they just know they want something bad and they're going to keep going to the well until they get it. So nine years, man, that's an epic amount of time to be chasing something. That's awesome. Do you have any idea how many marathons you ran over that stretch? Um, I race everything from 5k to marathon, both on the roads and on the trails, a little bit on the track. So I'm all over the place. I've gotten in, um, 11 marathons at this point. Grandma's was my 11th marathon. Lucky number 11. I love it, man. And plenty of Bostons. And I know I saw you at Chicago. I saw you out on the roads in Chicago late. You passed me, I don't know, somewhere in the, I feel like it was in the 20s or 21 or something like that, which was in, if I'm not mistaken, it was 2019, which was the year that I did all six. So I'm pretty sure. So you were, you were having a good run that day. Um, you know, where did, where did you end up finishing up that day? Um, I ran a 314, which was a couple seconds off my personal best at that time. Uh, I was definitely happy with it, considering that I was in Chicago having such a great time sleeping only three hours a night for several nights before that. So it, it was great. It was great. Very close to home. Fun race. Love it. So that gives us context. So it's just 2019, 314 was your PR. That's a huge amount to drop. And it's not like it's been smooth sailing since there. We've been living in the fucked up COVID world <laughs> since then. So we've lost years of our life. You know, like we have cat years and dog years and all these other years. We're going to need to come up with some contextual you know, COVID years for all of us where we just erase that part of our history or whatever we do. Because most of our lives were put on hold in a huge way. So you, it's not like you could have had smooth training since then. I mean, right. I mean, was it, you know, how, what were you doing like kind of since then, if you will? Um, after Chicago, I didn't run a marathon for probably 18 months. Um, I ran Glass City in 2021 in Toledo, Ohio. Uh, I believe that was my first one back. Um, I mostly stuck to just running virtual races, 5Ks. I I would drive almost anywhere in 2020 to find literally anything. Like I I drove four and a half hours to run a 7K race just to just to get in there and be around people and enjoy running and racing. That's what this show is all about, Heidi. Love, absolutely love it, man. We're runners. We're, we're fucking crazy. We got that wild streak in us and we just need, you know, we need to run for our own mental health for one thing. We need it way before COVID came around. It just helps us all be better moms and dads and uh, be better colleagues, brothers, sisters, whatever it might be. Uh, it just takes the edge off. It keeps us from losing it, you know, at one point or another. 
Um, you know, so for sure we need it, but you know, that's crazy. I mean, we've all done it, man, driven 30, 40, you know, maybe even an hour or taken trains a couple of hours to just jump in, you know, what effectively a lot of those were just virtual races just because we wanted to feel like we were competing and doing something to, you know, kind of keep ourselves in the routines that we had built up, built up for years. So yeah, that's uh that's good stuff, but we need to go back in time a little. We need to go all the way back in time where you just introduce, you know, everybody, uh, introduce yourself to everybody in the show, like where you grew up, what was family life like as a kid, brothers, sisters, just give us a little background on yourself for the Run Chats audience. Um, I grew up in Holland, Michigan, right on Lake Michigan. Um, I had a mom and dad, I still have a mom and dad, uh, and a little sister, um, very small family, um, not a very athletic family that running was just my thing. Um, when I was 14 years old, I was a freshman in high school and, um, my friend Jen and I, at the time we decided, Hey, let's be sprinters. Why sprinting? I have absolutely no idea. Um, if you know anything about me now, I cannot sprint to save my life. <laughs> but we decided, no, we're going to run the 200 meter. And so we ran a few times in the winter in Michigan, which is pretty snowy. So um, we didn't run a lot. Um, the night before track tryouts, I ended up um, grouping around with my sister and broke my left foot. I needed reconstructive surgery. So that was the end to my sprinting career. Um, about six weeks later, I was in gym class. Uh, my cast had just been removed. Stitches were gone. I was off crutches. And you know, when you're 14, you heal just like that, like super fast. And, uh, you're just like back out there doing things that teenagers do. Um, so I was in gym class and I was running, um, cause it was the track unit, um, and the cross country coach approached me afterward and told me, Hey, you know, you should come try out for the cross country team. And, you know, being from Michigan, the only time I'd ever heard the words cross country, um, was in relation to skiing. And I thought, well, you know, my family, we definitely don't ski skiing's not for me. And, you know, I, I totally laugh at this now. Um, but I asked him to send me some information to my homeroom class. And then I read about what cross country was and I was like, Oh, I feel silly, but okay, I'll give it a shot. And, um, about a month later, I tried out for cross country. Um, I wasn't a runner or athlete of any kind. So I showed up to my very first practice wearing walking shoes and cut off jean shorts and a cotton t-shirt. And, you know, this was the nineties and man, I, I totally looked the part. If I had a picture of that, that'd be hilarious. Um, <laughs> but, um, within a week I ran my very first 5k, I ran a 2102 and never looked back after that fell in love with running immediately. And it was the best release for me as a teenager, just to get out of the house and not have to come home till seven o'clock at night, every night. So, um, yeah, it was a, it was a very good start to running for me. That's a great intro. So little did you know, your friend Jen has to be thanked. I mean, a, she, she drags you in, 
you know, kind of in a backwards way, you guys are going to be sprinters. And who knows, maybe it's because of her that you were able to get across the line and crack the sub three, man, because it was literally coming down, you know, to the final, I don't know how much, I mean, you it was literally nip and tuck for you, the end of grandma's. We'll talk so much more about that later as we get in. And, and, uh, you know, messing around as kids. Yeah, that's, that's normal. Breaking things, you know, usually it's things in the house. Sometimes it's our body parts as well. And yeah, you hit the nail on the head. We healed like virtually instantly back then or within weeks and, you know, casts were off and, you know, you pretended like it didn't even happen. And nowadays it's like something happens to us and we're like, oh no, it's going to take us out. We're not going to be able to run and race. So Healing, uh, healing was definitely expedited, you know, back in those days and uh, absolute crack up with the cross country. I mean, I probably, I might've thought the same thing. I mean, I didn't run. I was a, I was a high school and college baseball player. So, you know, break out the skis, you know, and you know, you're in, you're in cold weather climbs. So it's not, not that much of a shocker and, uh, you know, but that got you into the sport and, you know, you didn't see, say the family wasn't really athletic. So your younger sister wasn't into sports. She wasn't, uh, playing a lot of stuff. Uh, no, uh, my little sister, uh, she has cerebral palsy. Okay. Um, so, uh, she never was an athlete. Um, but that kind of also inspired me to go out and do things, um, that she couldn't. Um, I, I, I always think, you know, maybe she would have been a runner too. Um, I don't know if that's, uh that's a, that's a hard subject. So, um, but no, I love my sister. She's great. <laughs> yeah. I'm sure it is a hard subject and it's emotional for sure. And, um, you know, so I'm sure, um, if she would have had the opportunity, yeah. Um, but you know, that's one of those things, man. It's just, uh, with families when, we have a sibling like that, that that goes through a challenge and, you know, we, we know lots of families and people from our running communities, you know, people that we know, mutual friends, you know, have issues like that with, with a sibling at home or maybe even one of their own children. So it's always tough and it's never easy to talk about, but uh, I'm sure she's proud of you and your running and uh, you being a mom and all the other stuff. And, um, and you know, it's good to hear your mom and dad are still with us. Uh, that's, that's always good. And, and they got to be proud of you as, as well with your running, right? Oh, definitely. Definitely. Every race that I run, my mom reposts it on Facebook. <laughs> She's the first to ask me what my stats are, how I finish, what my award is. So <laughs> that is absolutely the best. We were trying to get my mom on Facebook for years and she was just like adamant about it. And now she's, she's going to be 90 in September. And without a doubt, I don't care how many people comment on one of my marathons or one of my races. There's always one person who's going to get a reply back, and that's going to be mom. When mom writes something to me, it's getting a reply back. And then there's always going to be lots of people are going to see that she's still on there. And, you know, you only have one biggest fan in life, right? So we're, we're lucky. We're, uh, we're lucky to have that experience for sure. Um, so, um, so basically, it was just running cross country, but it was instant, man. That connection was there. Um, and you and you had the feel for longer stuff right away. I mean, more of a feel like more enjoyment. That was like more natural for you. You said your sprinting days were over after the cast. So, um, you know, relays and that kind of stuff, you know, sometimes that stuff connects and it's fun because it's team oriented. But, you know, I think kids get a sense right away that, that are running, particularly cross country and indoor outdoor track, whether they gravitate to, towards the longer stuff or not. And then that's just the way they want it to be. So that was the case with you, right? Yes. Definitely. 
And high school, you know, towards the end, you know, you had some really great results. I mean, you know, you came out, you know, you got on the team, you know, it was a, for a late starter, if you will, because you were basically a sophomore when you came on. So it's not like you were starting earlier than that. You didn't have any. And a lot of kids are running, you know, in, in grade school. So before, you know, they're getting to high school. So you were a late starter, you know, for more or less. So kind of sophomore year, you come out, you're running and you have some great results right away and you're doing really, really well. And uh, you end up getting recruited and getting a scholarship to run at uh, Hillsdale College, right? Yes. Yes. My senior year of high school, um, I trained with the boys cross country and track team. Um, I ended up running an 1833 5K, won the regional meet, finished all state. Track was, for the first time in my life, uh, um, absolutely amazing and fun. And I ran my absolute heart out and I absolutely fell in love with running the 3,200 on the track. Shocker. I, I love distance stuff, but, um, I ended up running a school record of 1103. Um, and back then in Michigan, I don't know about now, but you weren't allowed to wear watches or jewelry or anything when you ran. And I ran that whole race not knowing what pace I was running. I was out ahead of everybody and just having a great time and crossed the finish line. And somebody told me what my time was. And I was like, oh my gosh, I had four seconds in me. I definitely, definitely could have gone under 11, but you know, that's neither here nor there. It was a great way to end my high school career at that point. Yeah, it's a terrific way. And, you know, the 3200, I mean, that's really the longest back then, probably for girls of your age, that was probably the longest distance you had. I'm, you know, cross country may have been, I don't think they had switched it to 5k yet for girls in high school. Maybe they did, depending on where you lived. But, you know, just it tended to be a regional thing and didn't move up. And, you know, eventually it was was um, 5K and then uh, boys, you know, my my son's high school didn't even run 5K. He went to a Catholic high school. He didn't, you know, other schools ran 5K um, for their like freshman and sophomore years and they didn't move to longer distances until they were in college. So it all depends. I mean, college cross country championships are like five, you know, 8,000 meters, you know, eight 8K, which is basically five five miles. But yeah, so you were kind of running the longest distance you could already. And, uh, you know, but I think the watch off experience is something, you know, I've had this discussion with plenty of other guests on the show and it needs to continue to be reexamined because at some point, every one of us need to just take the watch off. You know, that includes me. We got to take, take it off and run an actual workout, something where you're actually going to try to run fast without the watch on. You know, you want to use it for a pure recovery day and not, not wear a watch. I'm also down with that. But I think a lot of us would be surprised that we might run faster than we actually think we're capable of running by not actually having a watch on. Because there is something about that continual looking down, needing to see what pace am I at? You know, am I on pace for this race? Am I on pace to go sub 40 in my 10K or sub 20 in a 5K or sub three hours in a marathon? And, you know, sometimes that can get, we can get in our own way. And, you know, for the other things that I share over and over and over again in the show, GPS people is not 100% accurate. People are writing these crazy comments. I ran 26.7 miles. So if I really extrapolate that, I really ran a, a, a 252. No, you didn't run a 252. The course is accurately measured. Okay, you're running in Chicago or Tokyo with all these crazy big buildings where line of sight gets affected and sometimes weather. So 
People get so tied to it, Heidi, that they're thinking that their watch is right, even if they're running on a track where they know it's a measured track and they know four laps is a mile. They're still like, no, no, I ran one point, you know, one. I didn't run a mile. So that was my my miles, my mile repeat workout is actually off today. So interesting that all the way back then, you know, you you ran and had a great result without a watch on. So who knows? You know, maybe just for the hell of it. Jump in some 5K one day, just like don't put it on. Although I know the downside of that is rough because then you won't have it for Strava and then you won't have it for, you know, your pace for a mile. And we all need that, man. I hate to say it, but we do. We need it, right? Oh, yeah, definitely. Definitely. Yeah. Uh, definitely need the data. <laughs> <laughs> and what's what's the greatest saying ever from Strava? If it didn't happen on Strava, it didn't happen. It's true. The bike ride didn't happen. The hike to the top of a mountain pass didn't happen. You know, the cross-country ski didn't happen. The race and run didn't happen. But, you know, we do have official race results. So we we also have to realize that. And it's not like we don't have every, you know, if you run the, you know, the BAA obviously has the Boston Marathon results in New York City Marathon. New York Roadrunners has it. You know, there's all sorts of timing. We have chips. <laughs> we really can get our results without having the watch on but i'm i'm a big fan of you know paying attention to certain metrics when i race stride power don't really need to know what my heart rate is or other stuff or i'm not even as concerned with my mile pace i'm more concerned with like my power numbers when i'm trying to hit a certain race so um, what metrics do you pay attention to when you're racing or or doing a hard workout um well lately i've been more concerned with pace um but I, I have found it interesting after using products like the Morton gels, um, how after taking them, what happens to my heart rate? My heart rate seems to, the mile after I take one, my heart rate seems to relax a little bit and it doesn't, you know, I, I don't have that graph of my heart rate going up, 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 up until I crashed during a workout. So um, it, it's been nice to have that. Um, I have looked a lot more at my heart rate data, um, but mostly it's just looking at uh, different workouts over time um, and having that overall data, like what is my progress at, you know, a, a 5k time trial from here to here to here. And you know, what was the weather like, what, knowing those things and having that to look at, um, can really boost you. Um, if you feel like you've had a, a bad run or a bad workout knowing, oh yeah, well, you know, there was a, a 20 mile an hour headwind that day. So maybe that's why, or, um, I was getting over being sick or I had COVID or whatever. Um, and that's why, um, so having a, a log of everything I've done is is really handy looking back and, and then looking forward and setting goals. Yeah, sure. That, that data is super important. Um, and you know, recovery runs need to be run slowly. Um, they'll always try to hammer that point home, especially with somebody who's just, you know, crushed a marathon at, you know, like six fifty pace or faster. Um, you know, you have to run your easy days easy. Um, and people don't realize what that means, you know, and I'll tell people all the time, I said, you know, you, sh you could be running two to two and a half minutes slower than your marathon pace, you know, three minutes if you want, but it doesn't mean you run a minute slower than your marathon pace because you're feeling good on your recovery day. That's not what you're supposed to do. That's not true recovery. Um, so although you're feeling good on that day, maybe you're feeling good because you're running with one of your favorite people. 
you know, and maybe you did crush your hard workout the night before and you're really feeling good about that too. So we can almost trick ourselves into like how we handle those recovery days. So, you know, from your perspective, are you doing a good job of really creating enough, you know, pacing difference between your hard and your easy days? And do you think that helps you to where you're, where you're coming to right now and, and the goals that you've been able to hit? Um, my recovery pace over the past few years, I was one of those people who ran like all my recovery runs, you know, oh, the number has to have a seven at the front of it. My, my pace per mile has to be under eight minutes per mile. And um, starting during the pandemic, when it was just me and my watch and the roads, um, I really allowed myself to just run slower and see what happens. And so my recovery pace is usually between 820 to 845 per mile. Um, it, it's hard to maintain that unless it's really hot outside. Um, naturally, I'll start to speed up toward the end of those runs. Um, but I've really liked giving myself the ability to run that slow, knowing this is good for me. This isn't bad. This is, that doesn't mean I'm old. This doesn't mean I'm slow. I'm, this is what I'm supposed to do today. Just like all the tempo runs, all the progression runs, all of the long run, like they all have a purpose and I get to check that box that yes, I, w- I was slow today because I was supposed to be slow. Fantastic. That's exactly where you want to be. You're right. What I said, you know, you're in that two minute range, you know, maybe a little more than two minute range. And of course, every runner, even on a recovery day is going to run the last couple of miles slower. It's normal. Your body loosens up. You're getting to the end. And sometimes we just want to get a run over with where it's we're humans, man. There's like, we're not robots, you know, it's like, all right, let me get these last two miles over with, you know, and we might pick it up a little, but that is, you know, truly using recovery running for what it's for. And if you have your heart rate data and you're paying attention to that, I mean, you don't really need heart rate data to tell you you're running a recovery run. I mean, but if you are, it's great. One of the things I do with it is I see over time, particularly even in the heat over the summer, I'll see how much my average heart rate will go down on my easy days. And people will be like, no, that's not possible. You can't have done a run under 100 beats a minute. I'm like, yeah, I can. And I've used a chest strap for like 20 years of running. Um, so I'm not going by optical wrist-based heart rate. I'm using a chest strap or now Polar makes um, something called the Verity. I don't know if you're familiar with it, but I highly recommend it to everybody who listens to the show because the chest strap after a while, I don't care, man or woman, nobody wants a stupid heart monitor thing hitting you right under your sternum or your breastbone and women have to deal with jog bras and, you know, boobs and things that men don't have to deal with. So the Verity... You can wear it either on your forearm or on your arm, and it just has a little Velcro strap. And, it, you know, it's basically the same kind of thing. You know, it's it's sensing your pulse rate, you know, from your wrist or your forearm. But it, I found it to be every bit as accurate as a chest strap, but way more accurate than, you know, just going by optical wrist-based heart rate. And it's amazing if you challenge yourself the other way to make sure you're really running easy enough the other way, you could make that the same kind of assignment you do for when you want to really drill down and go hard on your tempo day and you want to go hard on a long run with marathon pace miles or half marathon pace miles or whatever, you know, the crux of that workout is, you want to push down hard on those days. And the same thing goes, you know, on the recovery days, you want to go just as easy. So super cool that you're doing that stuff and you're logging it and you're paying attention to it. And, you know, the more data you track like that, you're going to know as you go through each cycle Hey man, my body's ready. And you know, you mentally, when you toe the line, 
now that you've now cracked the code and you have run a sub three, it's almost like you can give yourself permission to think about, okay, maybe I can run a 255. Maybe I can do this or, or some other distance. Maybe it's not even going to be, you know, you're going to put all that energy and uh, drive into that right now. But it's great that you're tracking all the stuff and using it because um, it's going to help you as you continue to build and develop because there's, there's certainly a lot more there for sure. So um, let's go over and talk a little bit about your college running days, because I know you had an important coach who had an impact on you um, and somebody who you felt influenced your running and somebody you still think of today with your running. So talk a little about your college years, you know, getting to run on scholarship and, you know, what your experience was like as a college runner. Uh, well, like you mentioned, I ran for Hillsdale College. Um, I was recruited by a woman named Diane Phillips. Um, Diane, this was her, at the, at the time I didn't know it would be her final year of coaching. Um, she moved on to do bigger and better things within schools. Um, but she was just the most amazing woman. Um, so vibrant, full of energy and um, most people are surprised to learn that my favorite coach actually wasn't a runner. Uh, she was a cheerleader during her time at Hillsdale College. Um, but I think, you know, in addition to being really passionate about pushing people, um, that energy she had from being a cheerleader was absolutely perfect and exactly what I needed as a runner. Um, she was great at setting really steep goals and just letting me run my heart out toward them. Um, she had super intense eyes. She had uh, a voice that she could just pinpoint directly into your ear somehow. Didn't matter whether you were on a track or on a hill on a cross country course, you could hear every single word. Like you could hear sentences coming from her when you could hear absolutely nothing but noise from everybody else. She she just had that skill of getting into your head at all the right moments. Um, and it, it was so powerful for me. Um, she allowed me to just see what I could be my freshman year. Um, I ended up leading our team to division two nationals. That was the 1998. That was the first year that division two, um, went to six K for women, um, which was great. It was more distance for me. <laughs> um, but, uh, I ran, I think, uh, 2247, six K, um, and, now I, I would love to run another 6K again. It's not a very common distance, but um, it was great for me at the time. I uh, And getting to run nationals as a freshman um, was an amazing experience too. So um, yeah, but she, she definitely played a huge part in all of that and really helping me harness that passion for running. That story is great on so many levels. Um, and thanks for sharing that she wasn't a runner herself. Um, I didn't know that piece. Um, and it just goes to show you, you can be a great teacher in life without maybe having that actual skill 
you know, you could actually be an art teacher or a music teacher. It might be more challenging with something that, that requires like a skill set like that. But really, if you're paying attention to your students or you're paying attention to your athletes, I mean, the big, I think the takeaway is that she just found a way to connect with you one-on-one. Um, she found what worked for you, what you needed to hear, um, what what made that relationship special was that you felt that she was paying such careful attention to you. You know, she was setting goals for you. She was paying attention to you. She was watching you. Um, and she was intense. Um, and she was in it. So you knew she was invested uh, in your outcome. And she wanted to see you succeed. And uh, you could hear her voice. So those are all those are all really cool things. And, uh, you know, although it was only one year, and it just goes to show you what an impact, you know, teachers, educators, and coaches can have on our lives. Because it was one year, and you were a freshman coming in in college, and getting to run in college is a big deal. And it really helped you in that transitional year where a lot of kids, even, you know, pro athletes that I have on my show tend to struggle the most in their first year, you know, getting used to more mileage, getting used to being away from home, academics, whatever it might be, eating different meals. There's a lot of different things at our, at that age for us, man, face it, we don't know what the hell we're doing, you know, at that age. So I don't know what I'm doing now at 61. So I'm still trying to figure it out, right? Um, but what a what a neat what a neat experience! And then from there, I mean, you had you know terrific follow up years. So from there, you know, did you just kind of ride the wave? And you just did the new coaches come in? Was there just one coach from there on, or did you have more than one coach coming in? And how did they treat the program? You know, moving forward. Um, well, the next coach had a different philosophy on how to train athletes um, rather than allow us to do our individual thing, what worked for us within a workout. Um, She was very invested in having us run as a pack every single workout. So some days I was holding back some days, like the the more sprint oriented workouts, I was being dragged, but the, the goal was always to have the top seven runners running essentially in a line at all times, um, to make it look, I don't know, more scary to other teams as we approached. Uh, we're, we were pack runners. That was the big phrase where we run in a pack. Um, and that never worked for me. I mean, I, I love being part of teams. I love having friends and community, um, but it, it wasn't great for me. Um, and halfway through the season, my sophomore year, I sprained my ankle um, and things never really got better from there. Um, there was never any downtime to heal and there was still that focus on pack running and rather than getting to be an individual, I just kind of fell to the back of the pack. And, um, I, I ended up one day, um, right before nationals sitting down in our locker room and the words, I hate running came out of my mouth. And that's when I knew I, I was done. I, I never thought that day would come. Um, people had always asked me, well, what would make you stop running? And I was like, well, I guess if I hated it, I'd stop doing it. And the fact that those words came out of my mouth um, was a big sign that I wasn't happy um, running cross country at Hillsdale was not going to work for me anymore. And so I made the decision to walk away from running at that time um, and to focus on academics instead. Hey, that's a that's a great story, and it's a tough um, 
tough situation because you have this amazing connection with your first coach coming in and then everything is different. And that might've been great for somebody else on the team. You know, we all know how this stuff works. I mean, styles are just so incredibly different between leadership and, you know, working with group dynamics and a team and, um, you know, that might work again, might've worked really well for some of the kids on the team, but it really wasn't working for you. And then you get hurt and you're not really feeling it. So it happens. It happens way more than you think. Um, with athletes just saying, I'm done, it's over, I'm, I'm finished with running, or, you know, you're probably not thinking, hey, I'm never going to run again, but you're certainly thinking like, hey, I'm not going to run for my college team. Um, so where does it, where does it go from there? Like, how do you find your way back to running? Like, what's the timeline like? And, and how did, how did you come back to the sport? Um, the timeline, uh, it, it goes really long after that. Um, uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, I, soon after that, I met a man who I ended up marrying. Uh, we had four kids together. Um, I had really low blood pressure while I was pregnant. Um, so I, I couldn't run, didn't really feel like running. The more kids I had, I really didn't feel like running. Um, then let's see, <laughs> uh, when my fourth child was a few months old. My grandfather died and my husband left me at that same day. Um, that was a really, really dark time in my life. Um, I was no longer living in Michigan. I was living in Indiana. So I was far away from friends and family. Um, I didn't have a job. I hadn't finished my degree didn't have money. I didn't even have a vehicle at the time. Um, so I had to come up with a plan. How was I going to fix this? Um, running at the time didn't, didn't play a part in any of that. It was just a matter of digging myself out of this hole I had found myself in and creating a better life for me and my children. Um, so, um, I saw a therapist for a while and I told her I, I work best working through things through writing. And she said, okay, I'm going to give you a writing assignment. I want you to write down where you see yourself in five years. And most people, you know, whether it's in an interview or a writing prompt, they see that and they're like, oh, this is, it's so cliche. But I, I took it seriously. I sat down and I wrote down every single thing I wanted for myself and my kids in the next five years. And then I broke down even further what I would need to do to, you know, finish my degree, to um, get jobs, get daycare, get everything lined up. Because I, I had four babies, essentially. I had four kids under four at that time. Uh, none of them were twins, by the way. <laughs> The Irish twins, maybe, but they were they were young, uh, not in school yet. So it was it was a huge huge endeavor um, to get things back in line. Um, during that process of um, getting jobs and going back to school, um, I ended up meeting uh, people involved in the running community in Fort Wayne, Indiana. Um, and immediately I knew I'm like, these are my people, you know, I wasn't a runner at the time, but these, these definitely are my people. These are, these are people who know what it's like to push themselves, to challenge themselves, to 
make the best out of a bad situation. They, I, I just knew it. Um, and they encouraged me, encouraged me to, to start running. And every once in a while, you know, I'd, I'd pick up a pair of old running shoes, lace them up and go out on the greenway out on the river and run a couple of miles and like, Oh, you know, it, it was scary, but it was exciting. Um, and I didn't really, uh, take up running again with any amount of seriously, honestly, until, um, I remarried and had two more kids and my oldest son ran cross country in sixth grade and he finished his cross country season. And he said, mom, I want you to go run with me. I want to do a 5k with you. Um, and I was like, okay, I'm going to do it. And it was one of the scariest fucking things of my <laughs> life <laughs> to go line up at a race and no. I'm not going to win this thing. I might not be competitive. I have no idea. I didn't have, I didn't even have a watch. Um, I, I don't think I got a Garmin for another two years after that point, but we, there was a, a 5k race uh, called a river city rat race. That was right down the block um, from our house at the time. And we walked down to the race and my husband at the time, he jokingly said, Hey, don't come home unless you win something. Don't come home without a medal. And we both were like, okay, yeah, whatever. Ha ha ha. Thanks for, you know, thanks for the, the vote of confidence. And we walked out and we ran this race and it was an October race, a Halloween themed race. And, uh, I ran just over, I think, 21 minutes for that 5k. And my son ran, I think, 24 ish minutes for his first 5k. Um, and we checked the, uh, we checked the results afterwards that were printed out. And I had won my age group and my son had won his age group. And so we got to come home with medals. So we won. So we got to come home. So that, that became uh, a funny thing in our house. You know, don't, don't come home unless you win something. Of course we don't always, win. you know, we don't always win, but uh, it was kind of our way of saying, you know, good luck, go break a leg. So um, yeah. And then after that, uh, we ran another 5k to, together and then winter hit and I was like, well, you know, I'm, I'm not really a runner. So I didn't, I didn't run that whole winter, but, uh, the next year, 2013 spring came, eventually started running races again, about one a month. And then I met another friend named Jen, not the same Jen, a different Jen. And she said she had gotten an entry into veterans marathon in Columbia city, Indiana. And I thought, well, if Jen can run a marathon, I can run a marathon. If she's going to do it. I'm definitely going to do it. Um, so we did some training runs together and I went almost couch to marathon for, <laughs> for my first marathon. <laughs> and even though back when I was 17, 18 years old, thinking what my first marathon was going to be like, Oh, I'll, I'm going to break three for my first marathon back then this time I, I knew I wasn't going to break three. And I just heard something about what the words BQ was, you know, somebody explained to me, oh, that means when you qualify to go run the Boston Marathon. And I was like, 
okay, well, what does that mean for me? And I think at the time it was like five or three thirty-five or something that I'd have to run. And I was like, eh, I can do that. Turns out I couldn't. <laughs> Not <the> first one. <laughs> Uh, no, uh, that very first marathon, uh, was on rolling country Hills in November, there was a 45 mile an hour headwind, the back half of the race. Uh, I have never cried so hard at the end of a race in my entire life. I finished and I was like, I'm done. I'm never running marathon ever again. It took me about a good 18 months before I did. I, I definitely, I was like, nope, I'm sticking with my, my sweet spot of five Ks, 10 Ks, half marathons. That was, that was my, that was my, uh, my favorite. <laughs> That's awesome. I mean, what, a, what an amazing story. We got to go all the way back though. Cause there's so many things to dig into there and dive in that are just great lessons for anybody in life that, um, it's going through a tough, a tough time um, to get, it took a long time to get you back into running to pull you back in. But I mean, what a, what an incredibly difficult situation, you know, to be in, you know, the day your grandfather dies, you know, your ex-husband leaves, you have four young kids, babies, um, you're, you're basically in a huge hole um, emotionally, financially, you know, physically, mentally, like every, from every possible way that it can be. Um, and that's why, um, I try to have these kind of discussions with people, man. There's just so much power in sharing these kind of stories because if you had just, you know, kept it all internal and hadn't, you know, gone out there to try to find somebody to talk to about what you were going through and talk to a therapist about your own situation and, you know, kind of come up with this whole idea, like writing it down, your, your plan, where do you want to be in five years? It's not cliche at all. Like how else are you going to plan like to move forward in life when we are hit with a hardship or, or even if it's the opposite, if we're something good, like, okay, something good happened to you. Like now, how, how am I going to change this next course in my life? You know, with this new good thing that occurred. Um, but man, that took a lot of guts, man. You were in a, a really, really difficult spot. Um, but to write it all down, and then, you know, not just where you want to be, but also the steps that you had to take. I think that's the most important thing. And that's why runners, runners are my favorite people, man, because man, we're just, we're built for hard shit, man. We're not, you know, we're built for the 45 mile an hour winds. We're built for the monsoon in Boston in 2018, man. We're just, you know, like life throws us hard shit. And we're like, you know, we're, we're not the ones who quit. We're not the ones who give up. Um, you know, we might be down for a while. It might take us out for a while and it may be a really long while, but at some point that fire in there will get a chance to come back to life and reignite. So, you know, if you didn't take all of those steps and, you know, that's the power of therapy is it's one thing to write it down, but you're talking about it. You know, the emotions of it all, what do you actually need to do? You want to finish your degree and what, what other things are you going to have to do to try to set yourself up with your family in this new you know, position that you're thrust into. So, so good for you, man, for, uh, for tackling, you know, what could have swallowed a lot of people whole, um, and just, you know, kicked a lot of other people's asses, um, in a situation like that. And, you know, you find out how tough and how strong you are, you know, when you're a mom and you got four little ones and you got to take care of them, right? That's why we love our moms the most, man. Moms, moms rule. Moms are number one. So, um, amazing, like totally amazing stuff. And, you know, slowly but surely you find your people. 
Um, so there's that side of it, right? You have your therapy, you're talking through, you're coming up with your action steps, you're coming up with your plan, but somewhere in there, you get to meet some other people that look like you, talk like you, think like you, and you're like, hey man, I found, I found my people, I found my tribe again. And you know, just the way you were talking about that run, man, I could feel it. It's just like what we need in life when we're, when we're stuck and we're in a really rough spot or we lose somebody that's important to us. It can be one run could be enough to just, you know, the problem isn't solved. It doesn't go away. You don't all of a sudden have a million dollars in your bank account. You don't all of a sudden have a degree in a job. You don't have these other things. But for that moment in time, however long that run took, three miles, five miles, six miles, you got to breathe. You got to recenter yourself. You got to have some time for Heidi to be away from all of that stress and all those problems. And that's why that's why we need we need running in our lives, man, because who knows where you would have been if you hadn't you know, taking those steps, right? I mean, do you ever think about that? Like where, where things could have gone if you hadn't taken those steps? Uh, I mean, I, I don't want to go too far down that hole. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, but yeah, I mean, I, I lived in the inner city, um, not the greatest neighborhood. Um, I, I don't think necessarily what could have been bad about it for me, but I think about you know, what it could have meant for my kids, the the friends they could have ended up having, um, the problems they could have gotten into, the the influences they would have had um, had I not worked to get us out of that situation. Yeah. Well, that's I that couldn't be said any better um, because a mom's focus is always going to be on her family and her children first. And yeah, I mean, those hard steps, those difficult things, those challenges you face, um, you know, just like we have to celebrate our big wins and our big runs and we'll get way into grandma's all the way through that whole race and what it meant for you. Like, don't ever forget, you know, that situation, you know, where you came from and, you know, how important it was, you know, in the life of your children and for you, you know, because it's a huge part of who you are as a person to to come through such a difficult situation and move forward. And now life is very different. You know, you're remarried, you have two more kids. Uh, you've got a busy life, Heidi, let me tell you. Um, for anybody at home who's complaining, they don't have enough time to fucking do shit. I don't want to hear about it, man, because you got your hands full over there for sure. Oh, yeah. Every- <laughs> <laughs> so you, you, I told Roberta Groner she needs to write a book on time management. I think you need to do the same. You know, anybody who's, juggling this many balls in the air and still managing to run and, and do some such impressive stuff. Yeah. Write a book, man. Tell the story for sure. I know people, people will definitely, definitely want to read it for sure. Um, so that, you know, that's a key point in your life, a huge cornerstone point in your life that you work through, you grind your way through it and God bless you get connected with your community and then, you know, running at this point, it's still not at all in the center of this picture, not the way it is a big piece of your life. Now, when does it start to become like more seriously where you're starting to race more, you know, it's becoming like more of a, a big piece of your life? Well, um, 2015, I ran Glass City in Toledo. Um, I had this big plan. I, I had looked out at what other runners were doing to get faster at their 5Ks and 10Ks, you know, things that I like to do. And believe it or not, every single one of them trained through the winter 
and they all raced a spring marathon. And I was like, dang it, I'm going to have to do it. Um, <laughs> and I, I definitely didn't consider myself a marathoner, even though I was out there training for marathons. Um, but that second marathon, I did qualify for Boston. And I was like, okay, well, if I qualified for Boston, now I have to do Boston. Um, and that year of 2015, um, Fort Wayne has a Fort Wayne running club at the time. It was called Fort Wayne Track Club. Uh, it's a series of 15 or 16 races of varying distances um, that you run throughout the year for points. And there's a big banquet at the end of the year um, to where everybody can celebrate and, you know, relive all of our successes and hardships and just get together and have a great time and eat good food. Um, usually have like an Olympian come and speak or somebody famous in the running community. So it's just, it's a fabulous time. But anyway, I went through every single one of those races that year. Um, and if you do all the races, it means you're an iron runner. And so that was a huge accomplishment for me. Um, actually having the time off work to be able to do all of those races and to have the money and, you know, just the health to get through that whole year of racing. Um, that I noticed by the end of that year, as I was finishing up that series, that my right hip had been hurting and no matter what I did, it hurt. And no matter what time I took off, no matter what stretches I did, uh, I started going to see a doctor about it. I was in physical therapy um, and it became a whole thing. Like I had to stop running for quite a while. Um, eventually after lots of injections, we did an MRI of my back. I had um, some pretty serious disc problems in my back that was contributing to all of that hip pain. Um, and nothing was really going to make it better unless I had a microdiscectomy, which I ended up scheduling. Um, so my very first Boston didn't happen. I, I had registered for it. I, you know, I had everything lined up, ready to go. And instead, I was sitting there waiting for my first surgery date, watching that Boston Marathon on the television. It was the very first time I ever really sat down and watched the Boston Marathon. And I'm not going to lie, I cried. I, I felt sorry for myself. I felt so happy, though, for all the people I knew from my area who did qualify and ran that day. And I know it was it was it was pretty hot conditions out there for some of them. Um, and I oh, it was it was just it was it was tough. Um, but I ended up uh, having that back surgery, um, trying to come back from that that summer. Running still wasn't happening. Um, I ended up having um, knee surgery a couple months after that. I had a random benign tumor, tumor that grew on my knee. Um, I had to have that removed and they removed part of my kneecap and a few other things that I wasn't expecting to have removed <laughs> during that surgery. Um, and by the end of 2016, I was thinking, I, I don't know what running is going to look like for me. I don't, I don't know if I'm going to run honestly at all very much anymore. 
because I I'd had that problem with my back and it, you know, it didn't heal very well. And then my knee definitely wasn't healing very well. I went to see a specialist, um, a sports performance specialist for several months who essentially took me from being on a couch to learning how to walk and run again. Um, and put me on a path of running no more than three times a week. Um, and slowly, 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 despite all the peer pressure in the world to, Hey, come out with us for this run. Hey, come do this race with us. Um, I spent most of 2017 just building back up slowly from two, three mile runs to, you know, doing a long run of six miles and then a long run of eight miles. Um, just very dedicated, um, to doing things right because, you know, you only get one shot at life. And, you know, if I, if I'm going to be a runner, you know, time was ticking, you know, I was getting closer to 40 at that point. And I thought, you know, if I'm, if I'm going to do this, if I'm going to achieve my goals, I've got to do it right. I've got to be healthy. I can't have another back surgery. I can't have another knee surgery. Some of those things weren't things that I could really control. Um, But what I could control was my training and being smart and eating right and, you know, trying to sleep right. Uh, With kids, it's not always the easiest, but (laughs) uh, I did my best. Um, I ended 2017, um, ended up actually at the end of a race getting hit by a car. Um, Yeah. I, I laugh now. It wasn't very funny then. Um, at, at the, the end of a race, I was going back to the start line where I had parked and I got hit by a distracted driver. Um, luckily I have no idea how nothing was broken. I was just very, very badly bruised. Um, but you know, us runners were crazy. So I got back up and I was running within a few days after that again. Um, and then I decided it's time, it's time to train for another marathon because, you know, I need to, I need redemption. I need to get back to Boston. I need to requalify. I need to stay up on the Boston marathon. Um, so I chose glass city again. Toledo's not very far from Fort Wayne. Um, got back in it and I qualified with a, a 314. Um, and it was, you know, for once there were no tears. It was just nothing but sheer happiness. And, you know, I, I still at that point, I'm not going to say I called myself a marathoner because I did um, definitely didn't. It was just kind of something that I had to do to say I did it. Um, but I did. And I, you know, I ended up running Boston in 2019, my first Boston. So, um, and then at, at that point, I think I pretty much caught the bug um, of running marathons because I could, because I, you know, I, I qualified for New York. I qualified for Chicago. So I mean, if I can, why not do it? Um, I ended up running Chicago where I kind of sort of met you during the middle of the race. <laughs> and I deferred New York, which, you know, we all know what happened with deferrals from 2019 to 2020. So my deferral ended up being, I, I still haven't run New York. I'll, I'll be running New York next fall, 2023. Uh, that's where I got picked in the lottery for that. Um, but uh, yeah, <laughs> it definitely by that point, I uh, I was all in. 
and running though, like going into the pandemic, I, I definitely was solidly, I'm, I'm a runner again, I'm doing this. I had firm goals for every distance of what I was going to do. There's so much in there too. Let's see how good my memory is. Let's see if I can backtrack and go through some of this with you. Um, back surgery, uh, knee surgery for a tumor and all kinds of other stuff going on in there. Who even knows what other stuff is in there, but certainly unexpected, not a running injury. Um, and that's a lot. Um, it's not easy to come back from the back surgery and then you're throwing the knee in. So now you have two, you know, two areas of the body, you know, that are absorbing, you know, force on the ground, et cetera. But you took it slow. You were patient. Um, you resisted the urge to get crazy and jump in. And that probably played a big part in you um, getting to where you are now. You it may not think it had anything to do with it, but trust me, if you would have just followed your urges and just followed the crowd and jumped in races every weekend, who knows what else you might have broken down in your body while you just weren't ready. You hadn't given yourself the time and the patience to heal. So there's, that's great stuff. And it's important for anybody who's at home who's recovering from a surgery or any kind of injury or a stress fracture or anything, man, you got to give yourself grace. It doesn't matter. Um, we're not 20 anymore. Um, or you're not in grade school where you broke your foot and you had stitches and everything heals at 100 miles an hour. Things don't heal as quickly, you know, when we go from our 20s to our 30s. And then in your case, you're now 40. Um, and in my case, I'm 61. So as time goes on, we just don't heal as quickly. So... Um, but so many lessons were learned in there. Um, you watch Boston, you know, I'm sure it inspired you on many levels, but also it's a little depressing. You're crying because you're not there, of course. But I mean, that also stokes the fire. You know, it's like, you know, I want to get back there. You know, maybe you're not writing it on your refrigerator or, you know, putting it on your bathroom mirror, but you know, somewhere in there, you know, you have unfinished business. You qualified for it. You want to get a chance to run it. And when you're finally able to get yourself fully healthy again, and get out there and run another marathon, you, you run a 314, girl, you crush the friggin' thing. That's like crazy. I mean, you blast a 314. I mean, that's like serious, hardcore, you know, totally crush it. Probably like a 40 minute BQ or something crazy like that. Maybe even more, who knows? Um, but so you knew you were there. Um, and you're, so that was your first Boston was, was 2019, which I, that was the year of my six. So we saw each other twice that year. Cause we saw each other for Boston and Chicago. That was the year I did all six of them. So, um, and so what was the first Boston experience like? I mean, you had all those years, you qualified all the way backward in 2015, right? I think it was when you first qualified, but now you finally get a chance to run it. You know, what was it like for you, man? What did it feel like? Coming into the city of Boston um, is unlike any other city. It feels like coming home. Um, the second I step off an airplane, get out of a car, no matter how I'm going there, um, that, that's the only way to describe it for me. Um, that city, especially during marathon weekend, especially during that very first marathon weekend, um, the city was the marathon. Everything about it just focused on runners and it's just amazing overwhelming so positive so so happy I, it it was it was unreal i i don't i don't have probably adequate words to to describe it but um and this uh, this of course is the only boston i've run prior to the pandemic so 
I don't really have a, a maybe a great basis of comparisons in the Boston's that have come since, but it was it was so special. So I made sure for that very first Boston that I did everything that you're supposed to do. Um, you know, going to Fenway Park and going to the expo every single day that you're there and you know, buying your spike the unicorn and make sure you wear your jacket every well. Not everybody wears their jacket before the race, but I wore my jacket every single day because I earned that thing. <laughs> but um, just having that camaraderie with thousands and thousands of other people and, um, you know, going to the church services for the blessing of the athletes and, you know, getting your picture taken at the finish line. And I did the marathon tours, uh, bus tour of the course, which was probably the best thing that I could have done because it is, you can watch a video tour, a virtual tour of the Boston marathon course and think one thing you can watch it on television and think one thing about what that course is like, but actually seeing it and experiencing it is so different. It completely prepared me for the amount of downhill and uphill that a a graph simply couldn't do that television definitely couldn't do. Um, but yeah, I, I did it all. <laughs> that's, that's, that's the best. And you, your words were perfect. And if, if the words weren't perfect, the emotions were fully captured. So um, I don't think anyone, it's, it's a Mecca is really what it is. It's literally like a pilgrimage for runners is really what it is. It's it, the city, everything else goes away. Um, sure, the Red Sox play their day game on Patriots Day, but it's not the Red Sox Day. It's Boston Marathon Day. Every single thing about Monday is Patriots Day. It is about the runners. That weekend is about the runners. Every single thing in the world, it comes to that point. The focus is 100% on every runner that's there and every runner that's ever been there before um, and what's in front of them, You know what's coming. And, you know, good for you that you, uh, you took it all in and you wore your jacket and screw anybody else. I love all these people who can tell you or me or whatever else, what's going to, what you're going to do. You know what? Stay in your own lane, man. You don't want to wear your jacket. Don't wear it. You want to wear it, wear it like, but please don't start writing a lecture about how somebody can't wear it. Just, just stay in your own lane, man. You know what? That's what the world needs a lot more of right now, because everyone has opinions. Everybody's, you know, basically a virologist and knows more about COVID than any scientist does or anybody else. And, you know, we just all got to be a little more supportive, you know, and uh, the Boston community cannot support the runners more. Um, Not just on race day, as you said, it's, it's all about that whole experience of the weekend and shakeout runs and meeting people for coffee and, you know, group meals and um, post run celebrations and just all of it. I mean, it's, uh, it's once in a lifetime stuff. And luckily for me, I've got to do it 10 times already. So, and, uh, you know, hopefully I'm just going to keep doing it forever. Um, you know, I certainly want to keep running it, um, because it's the experience of a lifetime and it doesn't get, it doesn't lessen over time. Maybe you're not running it as fast, but you know, the, the big feels that you're talking about and the big emotions, they're all still there. And the only thing that changes, Heidi, is you just know more people when you go back. So it only gets better. As you get older, you'll just know more people. You'll know more people that ran it. And your circle gets bigger and bigger. And then, you know, you're you're invited to more things. And then you're going to open up to all the people that are new to you and bring them in and welcome them in. And that's that's what our sport is about, right? That's what community is. So just 
you know, welcome them in, bring them in, invite them, you know, make sure you meet people for meals, go to the expo with them. I do the same thing, man. I don't care how many times I go there. I just keep going back. I keep spending more money. I keep buying more stuff. And uh, eventually I give myself, you know, the afternoon or, you know, from the afternoon over, I'll just make sure I'm back in my room by a certain time so that I at least have some rest, you know, before the morning of the race, but it's all good. But um, what a super cool experience, you know, to finally get there, to make it happen. And New York, you know, that's my home course, man, my home country. So we'll, we'll, uh, we'll give you a proper course uh, tour and, and give you all the facts that you need to be ready. And I host a shakeout run every year and so do lots of other people. So it'll, it's going to be super fun. And if you like Hills, you'll love New York, man. It's, it's a great course. And, and if you enjoy the Boston crowds and the Boston experience, just wait to wait till you run New York, man, it's going to be, it's going to be even more wild. So I think it's time for us to get into the grandma's experience, man. It's time to tell people what went down. Um, we know what the finished result is, but man, just take us, take us out there on the course, you know, like, um, it, you know, obviously, you know, your buildup had to have been good. You must've come into the race feeling healthy and feeling strong at all. So we're not going to, you know, get into all that specifically. Um, but just tell, tell us about the race, man. Did you change anything in the race with your fueling or anything? I mean, literally from, you know, your warm up to crossing the line, you know, take it away. The mic is yours. Okay. So I woke up that morning, 3.30, the earliest I'd ever gotten up to run a marathon, Um, walked over, took a train. When you go to grandma's, you have the option to take a train to the start line. Um, I don't know any other race that does that. Um, So I highly recommend it. It was great. A nice little double-decker train experience where you can look out onto the lake or out onto... Uh, the trees as you drive up um, to the start line. Um, I had a lot of time to sit and think and be quiet um, on that that particular train ride. Um, it was just me and my husband. He was running his first marathon. He was definitely in his head. and He gets a little annoyed if I talk too much. So I let him have his headspace and I had mine. Um, And I sat there and I started thinking about strategies. Um, Something, you know, like on the bus ride to Boston, you don't necessarily have the time to do because you're so excited and you're talking with everybody about Boston. This was a little bit different. It was quieter, smaller. Um, If if you've never been to Minnesota, it's a a small town, small area, much smaller race. Um, So I was there thinking strategy, um, thinking, okay, what should I do? What has worked for me well, um, in the past few races. And, um, last fall I ran monumental marathon and I came up with a really good strategy that worked well for me during that marathon. Um, I had run Berlin, Boston, and monumental essentially back to back. And I got faster with each one and I PR'd at monumental. And so I definitely wanted to carry over the strategy that worked for me. What I did was I broke down the race into five Ks and I set a goal for each five K I had to hit a specific time for each one. Cause it's only like eight and a half, five Ks. That's not very much. It's easy to remember even when you get tired, what those times should be spend a lot of time when I'm marathoning, doing math in my head the whole time. 
Um, I'm not necessarily a math person, but it gives me something to do and helps some of those later miles go by pretty fast. <laughs> um, so I thought, okay, so what would be a good, I want to break three hours for the first time. You know, I've got to take about seven minutes off my marathon time to get there. Um, you know, I, I had done the training for it. Um, so I knew that was there, but I, you know, I still needed to really hone in on what was going to work for me. And I started running numbers, um, and I settled in at, okay, I'm going to run every 5k in 21 minutes. I run every 5k in 21 minutes when I cross the, the 5k mat, you know, that'd be some really super easy math. And then I was like, okay, so what is this per mile? I'm like, oh, it's about 646, 645. That's like, perfect. You know, every time I did marathon workouts, like the high end, I was always hitting, trying to hit that 645s um, during those workouts. It's like, okay, this is great. This is exactly what I need. Um, and I get out there on the course. Um, I had uh, easy access to porta potties. I wasn't, I didn't start with the elites or anything like that, but I did do a run club experience. So uh, I got to go to a tent and use the porta potties there and stretch and things I don't normally have access to doing on marathon mornings. That was a little unique. Uh, and then I walked up, I, I did get to start right behind the elite women. So um, I knew the clocks on the course would be pretty accurate to what my actual chip time was going to be. Uh, I think I was like three or four rows behind. Um, I set out and it's a, a very calm, quiet start out on some rolling hills. A lot of people told me that grandma's was a downhill course because it's net downhill. It's definitely not a downhill course. <laughs> it's all rolling hills all the way to the finish. Um, so that I didn't quite expect. I didn't take a course tour this time. Probably should have. Um, it worked out in the end though. Um, but I go out and every mile, I uh, was marked by a balloon on the course. And I was like, Oh, this is quaint. This is different. Um, you know, there's a few people out on the course. I'm like, okay, okay. And I'm looking at my watch every mile. Um, like, okay. I started off a little bit fast, but I reeled myself in very quickly because I knew, you know, from experience at Boston, what happens when you go out too fast. <laughs> so uh, I quickly got back onto the pace that I needed to be at, even though it meant over a hundred women were flooding out in front of me, didn't care, stayed in my lane, did my work. Um, then I was looking for a 5k mat and there wasn't a 5k mat. There was a 5k mark painted on the ground. And I thought, okay, uh, I've got to change my strategy because if I'm not going to be seeing timing mats, if I'm not going to be seeing clocks, there was no clock there. Um, I didn't want to be chained to doing math, staring at my watch, looking down at my watch the whole time. So I kind of, in the middle of the race, I was like, okay, I guess we're just going to do this. <laughs> we're just going to run and we're going to just try to stay at this pace for as long as I can. About six miles into the race, Somebody came up from behind me, um, from Fort Wayne, actually, um, a guy named Drew from town. Um, we've run not together, but uh, we've run together in races before. Uh, we just started talking. Um, we talked from about mile six to mile 12. I'd never talked in a marathon in my life. And during that time, I didn't look at my watch. I know I'm, I'm chasing this goal 
And I knew he was a sub three marathoner. So I was like, well, if I'm hanging with him, it's okay. It's okay. I just let myself relax. And we had great conversation about um, coaching kids because he's a coach and I'm a coach um, in Fort Wayne. And um, we talked about just a little bit of everything, honestly, um, running related or not. Um, and then eventually he started pulling away from me at about mile 12. And I was like, okay, I need to start paying attention because either he's running faster or I'm running. Something's going on here. Um, I approached, uh, the half marathon point at about one twenty eight and change. And that was the fastest I'd ever crossed the half marathon, um, in a marathon before. Uh, so I was like, okay, okay. I've got, you know, about a minute and a half banked at this point which, you know, over the course of 26.2 miles, a minute and a half is not a lot, but I thought (laughs) in my mind, like, okay, if I run this evenly or just slightly positive split it, like I had just done in Boston, still feasible. I can still do this. Uh, I wasn't running with a pace group. Um, I did have a pace band on my wrist um, that they had given out at the expo. It wasn't like a fancy one, but it just, let me know like what splits I'd have to hit to run a three hour marathon. And that's like good enough. Um, I didn't look at that pace band for quite a while. Um, not until about mile 17. Um, I, I haven't hit a wall in a marathon in quite a while. Didn't hit a, a wall at grandma's, but there's always that point where you're like, Mm, the energy just really isn't there. And I start scrambling, thinking, you know, what can I do to make this easier? What can I do to stay on pace? And I was like, well, I've got this, this pace band. I might as well make use of it. So I started looking at it and mile after mile, I was watching, you know, that those seconds, those minutes I had in the bank, I started watching them slip away and slip away and slip away. And I was like, I haven't come this far to only come this far. Like I have to, I have to stay focused. I have to do this. I absolutely have to do this. And I started picturing myself with a finishing time of like three or one or three hours and zero minutes and like four seconds and pictured how pissed off I would be, how disappointed I would be. I had to do something to get myself full of energy, even if I'm being angry, because I wasn't going to feel sorry for myself at that point. I I just got angry, just really angry. That's what fueled me. Um, Cause I knew there was a hill coming up uh, around like mile 22 ish lemon drop hill, which is like an overpass, I guess. Um, didn't feel so bad, but you know, it, it took some more seconds out of that bank. Um, <sighs> with about four miles to go, it, it literally was just dig in and give everything I had. Um, cause I was behind pace at that point. Like I had to get back to running six forties during those last four miles, something I never, you know, I've always pictured myself eventually being a sub three marathoner, but I, I never pictured having to run that fast during those last four miles. Um, so I had to just, mm, I, I, dug and dug and dug and dug and dug and dug and dug in. And, uh, the last 
mile and a half, two miles of the grandma's course, there's a lot of twisting and turning. Um, up until that point, there had been a tailwind um, for pretty much the entire race. Uh, but the last two miles, you turn and then it's suddenly a headwind as you're weaving through, down through these streets, under and over little overpasses. Kind of feels like running through spaghetti, especially at that point when you're like, where's the finish line? And at that point, I was just looking for mile markers, like, oh, my God, where's the how far? Because, you know, when you run a marathon, it's not 26.2 miles on your watch. It's 26.3 or 26.4, God forbid, 26.5. And so I was just on a hunt for those mile markers. There was a hairpin turn where the 26 mile mark was. And I was like, I'm still not near the finish line. Oh, God. Oh, God. And I looked down at my watch. And I looked down on my pace band at the same time. And I I have a minute and 26 seconds to get my ass from this mark to wherever that finish line is. And I knew I'm like, I, I run five K's a lot. I love five K's. Thank God I put in practice running five K's. I just had the week before I just ran a a five K PR out on the roads. I was like, okay. Like I've got to, I've got to find that. And I've just got to let it all out right here. And as the finish line, finally, after another turn, uh, a left turn, it came into view at that point. Like I couldn't calculate how far away it was. I just knew I had 15 seconds left till that clock said three hours (laughs) And, uh, you know, the race photographers were on it because they took pictures of me literally every single step going up to that finish line and across it. And you can see my face turn from scared and upset to like just every emotion. Am I going to do it? Oh, my God. To suddenly like realizing I'm going to be able to cross this finish. I'm going to do it. Like it's going to happen. I have a couple steps left and just, I, I saw the clock and it said 259.55, which was my gun time. Um, And that first step, I just instant tears, just tears and tears and the biggest ugly cry. You know, one of the reasons why I wear sunglasses, <laughs> whether it's sunny or not, when I run, because I know those pictures are going to just be my blubbering face crossing the finish line. Um, but oh my gosh, the, there's a picture of me holding my medal up. They, you know, they make you hold your medal up, and oh, my face is just bright red. There's tears streaming down my face, and it's just the best. And like every time I look at those photos, every time I look at the metal, it's just, I almost start crying again because it was just, I did it somehow. I did it. I did it. Like it's just so much work and it was over, but at the same time, not over because immediately, you know, the second I get my gear back, I'm like, what's next? You know, I, I, if I can do 259, I can do 255, you know? But man, it was so surreal. My phone blew up and I mean, it's still blowing up. So over a week later, so I just, so much emotion. (laughs) That's beautiful. Um, I tell guests 
if you can bring us out there, then you've done the best job. And you just took us out there. You took us out there from the train ride, you know, chatting with your husband to your pacing plan of, you know, 21 minute 5Ks, which are 645s to not having time mats for the 5Ks and everything in between. And you know what? It's just, that's what this show is about, man. It's It's those experiences out there. What makes the marathon so hard and what makes it so elusive and what makes it you know, we use all kinds of fun expressions. She's a temptress, you know, she's this, she's that. Um, because it's so hard, man. It's just so hard. It's so long. There's so many things that can go wrong. The most perfect race can be short-circuited by turning your ankle on one of those last hairpin turns and falling down or, you know, just going the wrong way, maybe taking your eyes off the road. I mean, there's just so many things that can happen to us out there. You know, we're not getting enough fuel in and we cramp in the last mile and a half. And, you know, you got it right. Um, but it's interesting because uh, I can I have to go to the dark side myself. Uh, my my mantra stay in the fight, but I got to go to the dark side myself. When things get really hard, I have to tap into, you know, dark side force, you know, Star Wars. I got to be like almost the anti Jedi. I got to feel like someone's betting against me. Oh, yeah. You don't think I can do this? Well, I'm going to I'm I'm going into high gear. OK, that. That guy in the red shirt is mine. I got to catch this guy right now. Or that chick in the yellow jog, bro, I got to get up to her right now. Because if I don't, just what you said, you were putting it in your head. And not negatively. You were putting in your head, like, what were you going to feel if it the clock said 301 or three hours and four seconds or three hours and eight seconds? Before we came on, we talked a little bit about that. And it's amazing how to be on the other side of that clock to be 259.55 or 59 or 57 is, it's glory, glory be to God. We did it. We made this mystical journey, you know, come true, pay off. But when we were on the other side of that clock, it just, it stings and it hurts. And it's just so hard for non-runners to possibly understand, you know, what that can do to our psyche. All those months, all those training runs, all those tempo workouts and long runs, all designed to go to this place, the land of sub three. And now for the rest of your life, you can look at those pictures with your dark sunglasses on and no one's going to know you were ugly crying. Um, no one's going to know you know, what was going on, or you didn't even know really until the very, very end that it was actually going to happen. And, you know, you channeled the dark side, you channeled the adrenaline, you you tapped into everything you had to do to gun it down the stretch, man. And you got it done. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> and I could still hear the emotion in your voice. So that's, that's awesome. Because so many of us, when we hit a big goal and you, you nailed it, you just said it. It is, it's the way our brains work. Okay, what's next? 255, great. That's wonderful. But I thank you for coming on because this is gonna help you relive that moment. You'll be able to listen to this episode and just think about what you were feeling and what you just shared and all the other challenges you faced getting to this point. My God, it's what a journey it's been, you know, to get to this point, to have that race. It's just one small part of your story, man. But, um, you know, when we have to dig that deep, that late and we don't even know 
I mean, you can't do math at the end of a marathon, man. I'll give, bring me a PhD student here, man. Who's got like double math degrees. I'll challenge them to do math late in the race, man. And of course we can't have anything simple like 26.0 miles. Now we have to have two tenths of a mile at the end of a marathon. You know, I'd rather it be 27 or 25. I mean, it's hard enough to do math. You're right. I mean, and then they, they threw you the curveball with the 5k plan, because I got to tell you, that's a great plan. And if you race internationally, it's a great plan because it's going to be all kilometers. When I ran Barcelona, it's all kilometers. There's no mile markers. It's all 5K oriented. The only time I knew what the mile mark was is when I went through the half. And even that, they, you know, it wasn't even like, uh, like it would be in the US. You just knew it was like the halfway point. It wasn't marked 21.1K, which is what it is, but I knew it was the half. You know, I knew where we were in the race, but amazing. Uh, totally amazing. And, you know, so you had to tap into everything you had and the physically, mentally, emotionally, all of it. And, uh, you used everything you had, you know, those six miles of running with someone you knew that was six miles to relax. That was six miles to just not be stressed out about pace or anything else. So, um, that's also great that you shared that because man, if there's a way to connect with another runner who's around you or even a couple of runners, it's great. I personally am not a big fan of running in a pace group, but lots of friends that I know have used it to qualify for an Olympic trials or get a BQ or run a sub three. So if it works for you, good for you. Me, I don't like being surrounded by that many people. And I know grandma's isn't as big a race as like Boston or New York or Chicago or Berlin. So you don't have the amount of foot traffic, but for me, I just feel stressed. So running with one person like you did is great. That's very relaxing. And, uh, you know, did he have a good day? Did his day come together? I believe he ran a PR. Um, he finished a couple minutes ahead of me. So, I mean, it was, it was a, a great day for almost every single person I knew. So, um, there were definitely celebrations all night long. <laughs> awesome. And your, and your photos are totally dialed in. Um, you have some amazing shots, um, which is, that's the way it's supposed to be. It's supposed to be that way. It's supposed to be memorialized and captured and saved and preserved. So you'll have those forever. Um, and not only did you have your huge breakthrough and you have your day, your husband ran his first marathon. So that's got to be, that's got to be pretty cool, right? I mean, what was his experience like? Um, well, I, you know, I, there was about an hour, he finished about an hour and a half after I did. Um, his goal was to run a 430. Um, and I had provided a, uh, essentially like a, a couch to marathon plan for him. Um, it, it was very stressful coaching him through that. Um, cause he, he definitely considers himself not a runner. Yes. He completed a marathon, but he's still at that point where like, mm, you're going into the marathon. He's like, I'm not really a runner. I'm doing this to say that I run a marathon and I can check it off the bucket list and you know, well, whatever. But he ended up running, uh, for 38.59, And uh, like, I told him how proud I was of him <laughs> of that one second underneath because it, it just means everything. Um, but now he, he comes, over to um, the little celebration area at the end. And he's just walking like it's no big deal. Like he just finished a long run and he grabs a beer and he's just chatting with everybody. And I was like, what? And he goes, yeah, there was no walls. And I was like, what? And he's like, yeah, I just, I did everything that you told me to imagine that. And I was like, 
you literally have like the best first marathon experience ever. And then the next day on the drive home, because we drove all the way from Fort Wayne up to Duluth and back um, on the drive back, he starts using words like Chicago lottery and maybe another one next year. What? <laughs> uh Oh, look what you started. I love it, man. It, that's, that is, that's the best. And you got, and you got the long drive back where you, you can chat about it all. So that's even better still. What a, what a cool, I mean, that's just a cool thing. I mean, a lot of us who run either our other half or better half or worse half, whatever you want to, however you want to refer to them, they either hate our running, they don't want anything to do with it, or they're runners and they're crazy like us. And, you know, everything in between is all great, but I think it's really cool that he was there and doing his own race, you know, while you had your, your moment in the sun and you had your breakthrough and my God, it's just a hundred times more crazy special to be that close. I mean, if you had to run 255 and you broke it by a full five minutes, sure, you would still be joyful, gleeful, happy, beaming, all of which you're doing right now. But there's just so much on the line when it's that close. I mean, it's literally down to you know, cutting a tangent wrong or anything else that could have happened to you, or maybe stopping at one more aid station and a little bit too long, you know, getting Gatorade or something out there. So just absolutely amazing. And uh, I guarantee you, everybody who's going to listen to this is going to be super uh, stoked listening to you. Uh, take them through the, take them through the race, man. And, and, and talk through your emotions as you did, as you did so well. Um, so now coming out the other side, um, and it just, it's so fresh. I mean, it just happened. Um, but I know, you know, for up until this point, you know, you've basically been coaching yourself, you know, running with lots of runners and whatnot, but I mean, you have basically been like handling your own stuff. And I know you had uh, mentioned to me that you've become part of three rivers racing elite. Um, you know, that's, um, put together by Brooks, right? If I'm correct on that. And they took you on and you're going to be part of their group now. So that's a really big positive change for you moving forward. How did that kind of come to be? I mean, you know, in terms of getting to work with them and, and how's it been so far? Well, Three Rivers Running Company, um, that store uh, is really close to the first house that I lived in when I moved to Fort Wayne um, back, you know, it was just me and my four little ones. Um, and the initial people I met in the community actually worked at that store at one point in time. Um, most of them no longer work there. They've, they've gone, they've grown up and moved on and, um, done amazing things with their lives as well. Um, but that store kind of was a home base for me, um, over the past, man, many, many years. Um, and so I've, I've always had a connection with that particular store and the people who work there um, that are just really knowledgeable and friendly and um, yeah, at all the races and always supporting um, and sponsoring races in the community. Um, so that's, that's always been really important to me. Um, and I know a lot of people who I've run with at races or I've trained with who have been sponsored um, by Three Rivers Running Company um, and Brooks. And um, in the back of my mind, it was always a goal to be able to run the time to qualify for that team. Um, 
and I mean, the, the time standards are, are really high and, you know, I'm not getting any younger. <laughs> I am, I'm old enough to be the mom of a lot of people on the team. Um, and they're, they're great, wonderful post-collegiate runners. Um, I believe one of them is even just out of high school, um, but they're a fantastic team to be a part of right now. But um, getting to one of the perks of getting to be a part of that team and uh, in addition to um, getting a Brooks kit to run in, um, they also offer coaching services, which um, I decided to take advantage of yeah, a couple weeks right before the marathon. Um, so they really helped me fine tune uh, those last taper weeks, make sure I was doing everything. And most of all the workouts I had planned for myself were fairly in line um, with what they put together for me. Um, so that was a good confidence boost to know, okay, these are people who coach um, people like me. and like I was on the right track. So, um, that, that was great leading into the race and, um, they're, they're putting together a plan for me right now to be able to break 18 minutes and 5k, which is my next goal that I'm going after. So very excited about that one. <laughs> super, super. We're going to get those wheels going, man, get the wheels turning, work on the turnover um, and it's great. They're, they're in the community. It was like a first more or less sanctuary for you when you first got settled and, you know, came in there with your kids and, you know, you made those connections there. And that's what I tell people all the time. Why it's so important is you got to connect with people, man. You have to network. It's, it's a big skill set in life. So if you hadn't reached out and, you know, maybe been a little vulnerable with what your situation was and just connected with these other people when you needed them so much, just to have some running friends, other people that were like you again, who knows if we're even having this conversation, who knows if we ever even met or ever ran across each other's paths in marathons or, or you're on the show. Um, so it's important. Um, it's super, super important. And now, you know, they see how well you're running, they bring you into the group and no question, um, even though you're writing those workouts and you're actually doing them, there is something that happens when the burden is shifted away from you. And because there is some stress with not only coming up with the workouts to write them out, to accomplish them, are you pushing yourself hard enough or are you not? Like, are you going too easy at the end on the taper side or should you be going out a little harder? So at the end there, if they're validating, you know, what your stuff was and just making minor changes to it, it's giving you confidence for sure that you've been on the right path anyway. And then more importantly, it's going to put you in a good mindset, you know, before you tow the line. So um, that's a great outcome. And, you know, running with super young post-collegiate runners, for me, I, I feed off that stuff. I mean, I run with Central Park Track Club. We've got Olympians up the wazoo. I'm not just running in the marathon trials, like in the actual Olympics. So we're, I'm surrounded by just crazy depth of talent and, you know, showing up to workouts with, with those groups it's one of the things that feeds my soul, man. It's like, all right, who could I who could I mix it up with today? Let me see if I can hang with this group. And, you know, at the end of hard, long tempo runs in Central Park. So I think that's going to help you, you know, running with, you know, some younger, super fast girls or whomever, you know, is there. Um, the sponsorship, getting a nice kit. Hopefully you'll get some Brooks Hyperion elites to run in or whatever. Or I don't know, maybe you're running. That's, in. What, I ran, that's what I ran grandma's in. See? I'm not mad. I know my, I know my shoes. I know what's up. <laughs> you know, you and Des, man, you got to hang out with Des now. You know, you're on team Brooks. I mean, you know, we got to set that up. 
you know, no question. Well, that's exciting. And, you know, working on 5K, working on your speed, working on your wheels, it's going to translate. It always does um, across the board, including faster halves, faster 10Ks. And, you know, this time of the year, what else are you really going to do? I mean, I don't care where you live. Everybody talks about how hot it is in Florida. Hey, newsflash, it's hot everywhere. It's hot in Texas. It's hot in New York. It's hot in California. It's hot. Um, you know, humidity, heat, it finds us wherever we are. So this time of the year, if you work with them and you're doing more track focused, more speed focused stuff, it's definitely going to translate and it's going to pay off. And, um, what's next on the marathon side? Do you have a race to find yet? Do you have another one that you're like eyeballing and thinking of, or are you just not going to worry about that right now? Stay focused on the speed entirely. My next marathon that I'm registered for is London in October. So that's a, that should be my fourth star. All right. So there you go. So I know you've done Berlin. I know you've done Chicago. You haven't done New York. So New York's missing. We need to, so it's Tokyo. So you're left with Tokyo and New York by process of elimination. So, cause you know me, I'm all about the six star journey and all of it. So two to go and that'll be fun for you. And then you can have your cool. If I slide this way, you can see my six star behind me. And uh, oh, I see it. Yeah. <laughs> I'm running out of room for battles, man. It's crazy. That's one thing. If you could stay in the sport a long time, it's cool. But, you know, I don't know, man. There's just like how many? I'm, I think I'm up to 65 or 66 marathons. I'm, I want to get to 100. That would be cool to get to 100 marathons. And I've done a bun bunch of ultras too. Have you thought about um, an ultra at all or doing any trail races? Uh, an ultra? Absolutely not. Um, <laughs> <laughs> That's a hard no. I, I just, uh, I just warmed up to the idea of calling myself a marathoner. It might take a long time to get me to even entertain an ultra. Um, just with how my body responds to mileage, I'm not sure how well low mileage running would translate to running an ultra. Um, I would definitely have to have some coaching on that to make that work out. Um, as far as trails, uh, I do race trails as well. Anything from a 5K to a half marathon so far. So um, got another one of those coming up in the end of October, trail half marathon. So Trails are fun. They keep it spicy and we got to watch where we're going. We can't be watching our watches. <laughs> no looking at, no peeking at the watches when we're doing trail races, man. Otherwise we'll be uh, face down and, and leaving some blood, blood deposits out there. So um, all good. And, uh, one thing I ask every runner about is community service. Um, something that you're doing within your own community, something important to you, um, to try to help others. Um, there's a couple things that I do. Um, there is a trail cleanup effort, um, the trails that I run, uh, in my neighborhood. Um, a group of us from Fort Wayne running club get together, um, we clean the trails a couple times a year. I usually try to hop in on that at least once a year. Um, I race almost every weekend. So, um, I try to at least, um, hit one of those every year. Um, because unfortunately there are some people in our community who uh, don't appreciate trails as much as runners do. Um, so I try to give back, um, with some of my friends by cleaning up the trails, you know, getting the broken glass, uh, cigarette butts all kinds of stuff ends up out there. Um, especially in some of the trails that are you know, out, um, away from the city. So we get those nice and clean, um, in the summertime, um, uh, in early fall. Um, so they're in good shape. 
Um, I also, um, over the past several years, uh, I've coached middle school. Uh, I coached middle school cross country and track and field most recently. Um, it's definitely something that I'm passionate about meeting um, kids who um, are in that kind of awkward phase of their life where they're not quite kids, but they're not quite young adults yet. And they don't know necessarily who they are, who they're becoming. Um, and I think running helps people with that phase in their life. Um, you find that group of people that will be your friends, whether they're, you know, when you're a sixth grader, you know, whether that those people you meet are sixth graders, seventh graders, or eighth graders. You have that community of people to get to know when you come to middle school. Cause that is, it's a pretty scary uh, jump from elementary school to middle school for a lot of people. Um, and then I also get to see them become runners for the first time. That's something that never gets old. Uh, I get to see them barely able to run a mile at the beginning of practice, you know, and, the dead heat of August when it's 90 degrees after school. And then by October, you know, they're out running a 5k, like it's no big deal. Um, and we don't race a 5k, but in practice, you know, the mileage will get up there. And um, it's, it's something special to get to witness to, to be able to push um, kids to find that, that strength within themselves and then to get to celebrate them at the end of every season. I mean, it's, it's kind of sad because, you know, eventually they do move on and they do go to high school, um, which in our case is directly across the street. So we do still get to see them. Um, but uh, yeah, I mean, in middle school is just, it, it's those weird, awkward years that, for me is kind of freeing to be around because I can be myself around middle schoolers. I can be the awkward side of myself that I necessarily can't be with other adults. I mean, runners, most of us are kind of a little on the crazy side, but you know, people who have desk jobs and don't run, um, they don't necessarily get it, but um, middle schoolers definitely do. There's definitely some, some good vibing with middle schoolers. Um, and, long distance running. So, um, we have a great time. Uh, there's, there's nothing better than tricking kids into running by playing games at the end of practice. They beg to, you know, play a tag at the end of every practice and they don't realize they're running. And then all of a sudden they love it and they're hooked. So, um, it, it's something for me. It's very special. What an awesome way to give back. And, uh, who knows, you know, the impact Diane Phillip had on you, you know, your first year of college coaching and how she connected with you. You know, sometimes it's just something as simple as that, that, you know, makes us want to, you know, go back and do something at the grassroots level ourselves and pay that forward. So it's wonderful that you get a chance to impact these kids, get them going. And uh, yeah, runners, we're out there, man. We're definitely strange. We're a little crazy. <laughs> we're more than a little crazy, man. I know I speak for myself for sure and many others, but uh, it's been awesome chatting with you, man. And I can't thank you enough for coming on and sharing your amazing uh, journey, not just your running journey, life journey, man. You've been through so much and tackled so much and uh, to have such an awesome race and such a big breakthrough, something you chased for nine years is just... Uh, 
it's just super inspiring. And I know it'll it'll move the needle with everybody who listens to Run Chat. So thank you so much. Was there anything else that we didn't get to? I mean, we covered a lot of ground, tons of topics. Anything we didn't get to or any kind of message you want to leave before we uh, sign off here? Um, I think we covered it all, Run. Thank you so much for having me. Well, it's been my pleasure. And thank you so much for coming on while the experience was so fresh. And I'll just leave you at one thing, journal, man. Write some notes down about that race while it's all still fresh in your mind because it's a great memory to preserve. And, you know, it won't take but a couple of weeks and little things will start to fade out of your memory. So, you know, write it all down, man. It's it's such a big accomplishment. And then, you know, as you move on and go for the next goals, um, you'll have that to kind of look at, um, you know, to refer to for yourself for the future. So um, thanks again, Heidi. And we tell everybody to keep lacing them up to keep getting out the door, and always remember to stay in the fight. Wow, I'm so inspired by Heidi's epic run at Grandma's. It's almost impossible to cut it any closer. And you could just feel her emotions going up and down as she recanted her race and took us through it, really uh, through the whole race day, the whole experience from the train ride, getting there, to the start line, warm-ups, um, being there with a the group, um, just just her whole experience that weekend, you know, her husband running her his first marathon um, and being able to share that joy um, with him and with her friends and family who are also taking part in grandma. But what, a, uh, what an amazing accomplishment to chop a seven full minutes off from her previous best and continue to progress. So I'm excited to continue to see where Heidi takes her running from here. I know she's got big things in the works. Uh, working with Three Rivers Racing Elite Team, no doubt is going to help her continue to push harder and work with a group and uh, just keep chopping those times down and hitting some crazy new goals. So inspired to follow along. There's so many great takeaways in this one about overcoming obstacles and not giving up or giving in and most definitely staying in the fight. So I hope you uh, all get a lot from the takeaways and enjoy the episode and uh, always appreciate everyone that takes that extra step uh, to write a quick review on Apple Podcasts or share it on Instagram or Facebook or Strava, wherever uh, you might have that opportunity. It helps us uh, get new listeners to the program and most certainly helps me get great guests like Heidi to come on and share their inspiring stories. So thank you all who take that extra step and wishing you all the best. And keep lacing them up, my friends. Keep getting out the door. And always remember to stay in the fight.